Well, originally today, our, uh, our founding pastor, retired lead pastor Larry Veach, was going to be preaching this morning. I had asked him if he would take this week, but I told him that if someone else uh, in the area asked him to fill in, that he didn't need to say no to them just because he had already said yes to me. A lot of our, our friends who serve at other churches in our area don't have guys um, in their church or other pastors on staff who can, who can fill in for them, who can take a week off their plate. And so especially around the holidays, a lot of them will call Larry. And so he agreed to preach here for us this morning. And then sure enough, our friend Eric from Delray called him and asked him to go there and to preach. And so we'll get Larry on the schedule again here soon. Uh, but I am uh, so glad that he's able to help in that way, to go uh, and fill in for those guys uh, in that way. And so that meant I had to start from scratch with my thought process for what I, what I wanted to share with you today. And this is a weird Sunday. Like, this is a very strange Sunday because I could talk about Christmas, but I typically don't like to do that after Christmas. I mean, we build up to Christmas and then we kind of keep it going, and I, we don't need to do that. It's just not really my favorite thing. And I also know a lot of people are still traveling a weekend like this, and so I didn't want to jump into a, a new series and have a bunch of people already be behind. And yet you're here today, and I, I think that you want to be challenged. So I thought long and I thought hard about what direction to go today. And the natural direction to take is based on the fact that tomorrow is New Year's Eve, and by Tuesday it will be 2019. But if you've been around a church or even this church at this time of year in the past, you've no doubt heard uh, a New Year's resolution-based message. I know I've, I've preached at least one, and, and you know what I'm talking about. It, it's that same thing, you know, here's your new start, and while everyone's going back to the gym and trying to eat healthier uh, maybe we should also commit to reading our Bibles and going to church and tithing and serving. Serving. It's a solid thought process. It ends up being a solid sermon. It usually goes over pretty well. But the truth is, for a lot of us, even the most challenging of New Year's sermons only impact us about as long as our typical New Year's resolution lasts, which isn't very long. If you go to the gym this week, you'll struggle to find a parking spot. If you go the first week of February, you'll have no trouble at all. And the same often goes for our spiritual resolutions. A lot of us have been known to read more of the Bible in January than in all other months combined. And so as I considered New Year's resolutions, one thing that came to my mind is that a lot of them, most of them even, end up being very self-focused. I need to lose weight. I need to exercise. I should eat healthier. I need to make some career decisions. I need to accomplish projects around the house. Actually, some of us say our spouse needs to do that one. I need to read more. I need to work more. I need to work less. I need to be better with my finances. I need more finances. The list could go on and on. And on the, one of the ways we often resolve to improve ourselves is just by that, by looking internally and saying, what could I do better? What do I need to work on? Now hear me clearly, self-improvement is a good thing. Self-improvement is an important thing. It's something we should be striving for, especially from a spiritual perspective. Those little things I mentioned earlier and more, you know, reading our Bibles, going to church, more regularly, tithing, serving. Those are good things. We need to do better with those things. They are important. And we talk about spiritual disciplines and everyone having a next step in faith. And 
We mean those things, but at the same time, those things are meant to be ongoing things, not something we restart every January. And so what if this year we decided that instead of, or maybe in addition to, those self-improvement resolutions and goals, we should put some focus on selfless resolutions and goals. In fact, I would say it would do us a world of good and it would do the world a lot of good to make 2019 a year of unprecedented selflessness. If we took 2019 and we said, as often as I can, in as many ways as I can, I am going to give myself and what I have away for the good of others. That would make a big difference in your life and in the lives of the people around you. We live in a world that is increasingly self-centered. I don't know if y'all remember several weeks ago when Anthony shared a, a, a stat about the ridiculous amount of money the average person spends on Christmas presents for themselves. It was ridiculous. Every commercial on TV is about something you need for you. We're a, a get-ahead, whatever-it-takes you know, society, and the purpose is to make more money, to buy more stuff. Because more stuff will make you happier and much more awesome. That's the world's way. And a lot of us, unfortunately, are on board for that thought process. Even if we wouldn't admit it out loud, a lot of us live a self-centered thought process. But that way of living is challenging when it comes to trying to follow Jesus. Selflessness, self, excuse me, selflessness, I really struggle to not say the wrong word, so stick with me. Selflessness, I believe, is an important mark of a Christian. And it will always have trouble coexisting with a worldly focus on self. In fact, it's pretty much impossible to to balance some level of self-centeredness and selflessness at the same time. It just doesn't work. One will crowd the other out. And when it comes to selflessness, Jesus was our absolute example in a number of specific ways that I think we should emulate. I think we should be trying to follow in Jesus' steps. And so what I want to do today for just a few minutes is look at two of the ways that Jesus modeled selflessness and see if maybe we can strive to walk a little bit more in those footsteps when it comes to selflessness. So the first thing that we need to understand that Jesus did is that he lived for the lost. Now we talk a lot about why he died, and that's important. Jesus died for us, and that that is hugely important. But have you stopped to consider who he lived for? Because as you, as you read about his life in the New Testament, you certainly didn't live for himself. I love how Paul phrased it in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 9. He said, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. See, Jesus gave up his place with the Father for human life. He gave up that position for your sake and my sake. He came to earth for a reason. He came to earth for people. He came to earth for you and for me and for all of us. But to describe it most accurately, he came for the lost. I want you to consider with me what Jesus said in an exchange with the religious leaders of his time uh, as he called one of his disciples, Matthew, who also is known as Levi, in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. It says this, later as Jesus left town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and left everything and followed him. 
I love this. We, we read these stories of Jesus calling his disciples, and I wonder if we've stopped to consider just how amazing the presence of Jesus was, that he could walk up to these guys who had other things going on, who had jobs, who had responsibilities, and he could call to them, and they would just drop everything and follow him. Some of us, God has been trying to get our attention or get through to us for years, and we rarely listen, let alone drop everything to follow. And yet here's, here's Levi, here's Matthew, at his tax collector's booth, a very lucrative place for him to be. Sometimes these guys would set up wherever they wanted to near a road and would say, hey, if you want to pass by, you've got to pay a tax to do so. And there was no one to stop him. And so this, with his, at his booth, actively collecting taxes, would have been a crazy place for him just to walk away from. And yet scripture is very clear that that's exactly what happened, that he walked away. Verse 29, later Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. And they said, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Now I'm not sure there's any place in Jesus' life where it's more clear as in this moment that the religious leaders of the day had no real understanding of why Jesus came. They cared about appearances. They cared about the social order and the social status. And when Jesus showed that he cared very little for those things, they couldn't handle it. And so they questioned it. They began to challenge it. And Jesus answered in verse 31, Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. You know what I think? I... I think that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day, I think it's possible that part of the reason that they didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that they didn't believe he was the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, is because he didn't really want anything to do with them. Based on a lot of what we know and a lot of what we read about these guys, my assumption is that they would expect the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, to want to spend all his time with them. They were the righteous, at least in their own sight. They were close to God because they worked hard and followed the rules to get there. And if God was going to send a Savior, wouldn't he send that Savior to them? I imagine that's at least some of their thought process. And Jesus speaks directly to that when he says, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. In other words, Jesus came for those who needed him or those who might someday realize They needed him, not for those who didn't think they needed him. Now, Jesus came for everybody. Don't don't misunderstand me there. But these guys thought they had it all worked out. And and I have to chuckle. You know, sometimes some of us are good at this and we shouldn't be. You know, you can say something to somebody that sounds like a completely normal statement, but there is a dig in it, there is an insult in it, there is a cut down in it that... That if it lands, man, it really cuts you deep because they didn't even say it with malice. And i got to believe when Jesus said those who think they are righteous, if the Pharisees were paying attention, that probably cut them deep because they really did believe that they were the righteous ones, that they had everything figured out. You see, Jesus, his focus as he walked this earth was clearly on those who needed him or didn't know yet that they needed him and not on those who thought they had their own righteousness in hand. His selflessness was on display, and that he gave up everything for the sake of the lost, that, that he sought out 
the marginalized or the disliked or even the hated as a tax collector would have been and spent time with them instead of with the Pharisees who thought they should have all his attention. Now here's where this translates over to us. We also have a responsibility to live for the lost. You know, we spend a lot of time on self-improvement, even in the church, and we understand that that is important. We need to strive for personal spiritual growth and to grow closer to God, looking more and more like Jesus. That is our responsibility. But in doing that, I think it also means that more and more of our life will need to be lived for the sake of those who don't already know Jesus because that's how he lived. And so if we're going to look more like Jesus, we're going to do the things that Jesus did, and we're going to care about the people that Jesus cared about, and that is the lost. There's another story in Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town, and there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was, way, he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And so here we have another tax collector, another guy who's pretty well hated, but a guy who's done pretty well being hated. And, and I think probably in that time, and, and it may be true today for some people as well, there's a certain amount of being hated that you can handle if you also have all the money you need. And Zacchaeus clearly did. Now, he also was, was short, and I didn't, I, didn't used to, uh, I didn't used to relate very well to Zacchaeus because I've never really been what I would consider short. I'm kind of average height. But then I hired a bunch of tall people to work on staff with me. And so now I very much can sympathize with Zacchaeus not being able to see what's going on. So for those of you that, that are in that boat with me, I'm, I'm with you now. I get it. And so Zacchaeus, like, even though he's this tax collector and even though he's hated and even though he's got all of these, these issues, he hears that Jesus is coming and he wants to see him. And so he runs and he climbs a tree. Verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest at your home today. And here we have another drop everything situation. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. And Jesus said it so clearly there, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And we have a responsibility to join in that process, to seek the lost, and to help them come to know the Savior that they need. If Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and the lost are the sick who need a doctor, and we know the doctor that they need, why wouldn't our greatest desire be for them to know him? But what I'm afraid happens is I'm afraid that desire to reach the lost sometimes gets lost in our desire to better ourselves as believers, to grow spiritually. And again, don't, don't misunderstand me. Those things are important. Personal spiritual growth should and will make us more effective at reaching the lost. But that only helps if we are actively seeking the lost. And I'm afraid for a lot of us, that's something we're procrastinating about. I'm afraid for a lot of us, it's something we're putting off or outright ignoring. And we focus on personal spiritual growth and we hope that personal evangelism, reaching the lost, will happen on its own. 
or that we'll be able to focus on it when we're ready. And I'm sorry, but that's selfish. And I know that's selfish because there's a lot of that that describes the way I've functioned on and off for most of my life. That This idea that the more spiritual growth I can myself achieve, the more effective I'll be reaching the lost, but later, when I'm ready, when I'm prepared. But I never go to the lost, and if I never seek the lost, if I never do those things, I spend a lot of time waiting for something that probably won't happen on its own. And we focus on ourselves, and we want to grow in ourselves, and we do that, and that's good. But if we never step outside that, then what's the point? Because here's something I've had to realize, and I'm still realizing, the lost are all around us. And waiting to reach out to them is a risk we should not be willing to take, because as believers, we have something they need, and we have no right to be selfish with it. Knowing Jesus was never meant to be something we keep to ourselves. Because Jesus came for sinners, because he lived for the lost, we need to live for the lost as well. But that's not all Jesus did for the lost and for us. The second thing is this, Jesus gave up everything for the sake of the lost. He didn't just come for them, he didn't just live for them, he gave up everything for them and for us. Now those of us who are believers in Christ, those of us who have claimed him as Savior and made him Lord of our lives and have been baptized in his name, we know he gave up everything for us even unto death. And that he did that not just for us, but for every person who ever lived, that the lost might be found in him. And so I believe that if we are the found, we have a responsibility to do as the one who saved us did, and to give up everything for the sake of the lost, or at least be willing to give up everything for the sake of the lost. And you might say, well, Jesus already did that, so I don't need to give up my life for them. And you're right, Jesus did that. But I would suggest that we need to be willing to give up our lives for the lost if that's what it takes. And I would ask you this question, and I would ask me this question. When is the last time that you and I made a sacrifice, any sacrifice, for the sake of someone who doesn't yet know Jesus? When was the last time we were truly selfless for the sake of someone who doesn't yet know Jesus? Because I'm telling you right here and right now that even if you don't see immediate results in the life of someone that you, you display selflessness to, even if you don't see long-term results, that selflessness in the name of Jesus has more potential to make an impact on someone's life than keeping Jesus to ourselves ever will. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be all that convincing of a person. But if you display the same selflessness that Jesus showed for you in other people's lives, they will see that. They will see that, and we may have an opportunity to point them to Jesus' example. Philippians chapter 2. We read this passage a lot because it matters. Beginning in verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. We do pretty good that far. But we read on, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And that's where a lot of us will struggle. Because that goes counter to maybe how we were raised. Or that goes counter to what gets you ahead in this life. Or it goes counter to what works where you work. Yeah, it sounds great to to put others' interests ahead of yourselves, but if I do that at work, I'll never get ahead. 
If I, if I do that, I'm going to get pushed down the line. If I do that, people will think I'm weak. And it's possible that for a lot of us, we read a passage like this, we say we're not supposed to be selfish, we're not supposed to you know, impress others, we're supposed to be humble, all those things. But, and that, that's good, but it doesn't work. It's not practical in my life. And yet it's what we're called to do. And maybe the reason we might think it doesn't work is because we're striving for the wrong things. You see, here's what that passage continues to say in verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have you stopped to consider what Jesus gave up just to come to earth? And I can tell you right now that as, as I read through that description of Jesus, that attitude we're supposed to follow, that in a lot of ways, a lot of the time, my attitude does not look very much like the attitude of Jesus described here. And that's even more the case when we consider specifically his selflessness. But consider with me that Jesus gave up his equality with God and his divine privileges to take the position of a slave. And that's amazing, and that should be moving to us. That should feel good because he did that for us. He was willing to do that for us, but it is also supposed to be our example. And yet we typically aren't willing to give up little things like comforts. We typically aren't willing to give up position or privilege We typically aren't willing to give up much in the way of time, money, or resources, and yet we say we want to follow Jesus. You see, here's what I'm afraid of, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I'm afraid that we want to follow Jesus, but that we often insist on doing it on our own terms. We go to church and we tithe and we help people in need, often when it's convenient, and we convince ourselves that it is a good picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But I'm afraid that those are our terms. Those terms don't line up with the example of Jesus. And really, they aren't the terms that Jesus laid out. In fact, it's it's best expressed in this story in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. And I can imagine at this point, this man going, cool. Like, I'm doing good. And as he listens to this list that Jesus, you know what? I haven't killed anybody. You know what? I haven't committed adultery. You know what? I've honored my father and mother. You know, this is, I'm doing good. Saying, I've kept these commandments, he's feeling good. And in fact, he says in verse 20, Teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And I can imagine his thought process, I hope this is it, because I'm good. 
And a lot of us, that's the point that we get to. We check off the right boxes on the list and we assume we've done what's needed to be done and we're following Jesus the way we're supposed to be following him and all is right. And yet in verse 21, here's what we read. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done. He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Only one more thing you need to do, and this is it. Verse 22, at this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them, but Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. And who in the world can be saved, they asked. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or property for my sake, And for the good news, we'll receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. You see, here's what I get from that passage this time, because I've read it before, and it's possible that you have too. But one cool thing about the Bible is that I truly believe every time you read it, you stand a possibility of seeing or learning something new. This time, what I get from this passage is this, that that selflessness needs to be part of the nature of a believer. It's not optional, it's non-negotiable, it's commanded, and it was modeled by Jesus. And here's the thing, I want to think about this story for just a moment. You know, some of us maybe misapply the story and say, okay, rich people can't get into heaven. That's, that's what I learned. That's probably not what he was really trying to say. You see, Jesus knew what mattered most to this man. He knew the thing this man was probably least willing to give up. In fact, that's why after Jesus tells him that he needs to give up all of his riches, all of his wealth, that we find out that the man went away sad because he had a lot of it. I believe that it was more about what this man would be least willing to give up for the sake of following Jesus than it was about what it actually was. And so for you and me, the question would become, what is the thing that we would most struggle to give up if God asked us to? What is the thing that that if it got in the way of us following Jesus, what is the thing we would struggle the most to give up? Put that in the place of the rich man's riches. We have things of this life that we value so highly, and I think that Jesus would ask us, you know what, if you truly want to follow me, maybe that's the thing you need to give up. For some of us, it might be money, just like this man. For some of us, it might be family. And not that family is invaluable, but we're supposed to be willing to give up even things of value if that's what it takes to follow Jesus. For some of us, it might be career, success, I think God would say, if that's what it took for you to follow me, would you be willing to give that up? And a lot of us would struggle. A lot of us would answer in the same way that the rich man did. That he looked dejected, he was sad, 
and he went away. Now, we don't know what eventually happened. We don't know if he came back later. We don't know if he went and sold all of his wealth. But Jesus asked him, are you willing to give up what matters the most to you for me? See, again, selflessness has to become part of our nature if we're going to be Jesus followers. Which means, if we are struggling to be selfless in a self-centered world, we will struggle to truly follow Jesus. And I can tell you this for certain, for most of us, selflessness will not come naturally. It will take effort and intentionality, and we will still have our selfish moments, but if we truly want to follow Jesus, we need to be willing to give it away, give everything away for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of people around us who don't know Jesus coming to know him. Now, God may not ask you to give up everything to make that happen, but you will find yourself in situations where you making a sacrifice could help someone come to know him. So here's what I want you to consider. Is there anything you have, anything in your life that wouldn't be worth giving up if it meant that even one more person would come to know Jesus as their Savior? I know that's difficult. It's an even seemingly impossible question. But when it comes to selflessness, that is the goal. That's where we need to get to. Jesus gave up everything for us. We need to be willing to give up whatever it takes for someone else's sake, that they might come to know Jesus through that. Wherever you are on the selfishness versus selflessness spectrum today is as good of a day as there ever will be. To Take another step towards selflessness, another step toward looking more like Jesus. This year in 2019, you could make a bunch of resolutions that you probably won't keep. And do that. If that helps you, or maybe you're a person who does get farther into the year, do that. I'll probably make a few myself. And, and if you want to make them self-focused, that's fine. Because we all have ways we can improve. But don't neglect setting some selfless goals as well. Don't neglect deciding that this year, when the opportunities arrive, arise, and they will, they will come, that you're going to give more of yourself away for the sake of someone else. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's even painful. But it's worth it because it's what we were called to do and it has amazing potential to point people to Jesus who gave up everything for you and for me and for everyone. Selflessness in the name of Jesus, I believe, could change the world. We can be a part of that if we're willing to be selfless. Let's pray. I thank you for sending Jesus as our example. Thank you for his sacrifice on the cross as he gave up his life for our sake. Thank you for that gift. God, if we know that, if we believe that, if we have that relationship with you, I pray that we wouldn't be selfish with that information. That we would give it away. God, that we would live our lives in such a way as to reflect the selflessness of Jesus, and to point people to Jesus, their Savior. God, as we move into our time of communion, I pray that you would help us to focus on that most selfless act when Jesus went to the cross for us. Help us to focus during this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.